At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This morning, friends, we are going to be concluding a series that we began a couple of months ago called Defeating Death. And in this series, we've been walking through the last three chapters of Matthew's gospel. And inside of these chapters, we've seen a number of things. We've seen that Jesus' life was given by him, not taken from him, that we can value him most, that we can remember what Jesus has done for us through the elements of the communion meal, that we can avoid the pitfall of failure by heeding the example of Peter. We can face adversity on our knees as Jesus did in the garden. We can find in Jesus, the Son of God, a sacrifice for our sins and our Savior, that we can avoid the mistake of the mockers, that we can remember that Jesus died for our sins, and we can remember, as we saw last Easter Sunday, that the resurrection changes everything. Today, friends, we're going to conclude this series by seeing that we are all in and on mission. We're going to see this from the last few verses of Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now, as we are in the last few verses of Matthew, I just want to remind all of us, if you've been around Wildwood for a while, you know that we have been preaching inside of Matthew's gospel for three and a half years now. You know, I I think about... uh, just the, the progress that we have gone through in a number of series. As a matter of fact, 85 different sermons spread over 14 series. We've walked verse by verse through Matthew's gospel since Christmas of 2016. Now, I was thinking about that process uh, just, just recently, and I was thinking about my first experiences at Wildwood. I came to Wildwood as a freshman at the University of Oklahoma in 1992. And when I came to Wildwood at that time, I began attending uh, the church and Pastor Bruce Hess uh, stood uh, behind a pulpit and he began to preach out of Mark's gospel when I was a freshman in college. What was fascinating about that was that when I graduated four years later, Bruce finally finished Mark's gospel. We spent my entire college career in Mark's gospel. Now, I think that's funny because I realized as I was preparing for today's message that there are college students right now who began coming to Wildwood three and a half years ago that have never heard a message around here from anything other than Matthew's gospel. Uh, But I I realized that uh, there's value in that, friends, because we're not just looking at some historical document. It is a historical document, but it's more than that. It's a record of the life of Jesus Christ. And we have the privilege of reading it and getting to know him. We talk about as a church that we are following Jesus together to the glory of God. How can we know what it means to follow Jesus unless we look to who Jesus really is? And God preserved for us a record of his life. As a matter of fact, four records of his life in the four gospels. And we have spent an extended amount of time walking through Matthew's gospel over the last few years. So if you have stuck with us through that journey, bless you and thank you for hanging in there. Uh, But today we're going to conclude Matthew's gospel. And as we look at the end of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus 
making an incredible pronouncement to his followers. He gives them a mission. That's what they are to do after he ascends back into heaven. What are the followers of Christ to do as he ascends to heaven? That's what we will see today. As a matter of fact, you might think of it this way. Jesus gives you and Jesus gives me a mission should we choose to accept it. We're going to see that today in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So let me read those verses for us, and then we'll back up and make some observations from them. Matthew 28, verse 16 says this. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, friends, in these few verses today, I want to remind us that we get to be all in on mission with our Savior. What a gracious invitation that he invites all of us in to the mission that he is working in the world. And we have a record of that from history as Jesus interacted with his disciples here. And when I say that we are all in on mission, it's important for us to think about all of the different alls that are inside of this passage. There's four different alls that I see in this passage. There's all authority. There are all nations. There's observing all that I have commanded, and I am with you always. These four alls make up the all-in of the mission that Jesus is inviting us on. And so with the balance of our time today, I want to look at each of these alls to find out more what the mission is and how Jesus is providing for it for us even today. The first all that I want us to see is all authority. Jesus has all authority for this mission. Now, where do I see that inside of the passage? Well, I see it in verses 17 and 18. See, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He was resurrected on a Sunday. And then he went to Galilee and he invited his disciples to join him there on a mountain where he was going to give them a mission. Now, when his disciples gathered there on that mountain with him, Jesus first reminds them of who he is. And he reminds them of who he is by talking about the authority that he has. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus said he doesn't have some of the authority. He says he has all of the authority. That means that there is no place in heaven or on earth, up there or down here, where Jesus doesn't have jurisdiction. There is no person, regardless of their ethnicity, that Jesus doesn't have authority over. There there is no country where Jesus is excluded from or has been told that it is off limits for him to enter there. 
Jesus stands with his disciples on this day and he says that all authority has been given to me. Now, it's, it's important for us to think about for just a moment, when he says all authority, what does he mean? Well, he doesn't just mean power. He doesn't just say all power has been given to me. He is all powerful. But Jesus is not just all powerful, he has all authority. That is the right use of power, the righteous use of power. I mean, someone with a gun can demand power. They can demand control of a room, but it's, it's not It's not real. It's not righteous. But the one who has jurisdiction over an area, they have the appropriate authority. Jesus lets his disciples know that he has authority over everything and every one. Now, when Jesus says this, it's quite a statement to make, right? But the disciples didn't blink at it. They didn't go, wait a minute, what? No, no, they, they, they heard him say this and they, it seemed reasonable to them. Now, why would it seem reasonable to them? It would seem reasonable to them, friends, because they had just experienced Jesus. They had spent three years with him. They had seen his authority over Satan. They had seen his authority in his teaching. They had seen authority in his healing over disease. They had seen his authority to forgive sins. They had seen his authority over evil spirits in the demonic realm. They had seen his authority over nature. They had seen his authority over the religious leaders. They had just seen his authority over the grave. So when Jesus says, friends, that he has all authority, the disciples didn't go, what do you mean by that? The disciples went like this, yes, sir, you certainly do. Because they had seen the authority that Jesus had demonstrated in front of them in their lives. And Jesus wanted to remind them of the authority that he had. Friends, as you sit in your living room today, do you need to be reminded of the authority that Jesus has? Do you need to be reminded that there is no place where Jesus doesn't have jurisdiction, no area of our lives that is off limits to him, whether it's our finances or our vocation or our family or our health. Friends, as we gather today, we need to remember, we need to remember that Jesus has all authority over us. And, and what, what that, that could seem like a scary thing, but when we see his character, when we see who he is, We see how he demonstrated that authority for righteous purposes, to to bless us, to provide for us, to care for us. Friends, there's no one I would rather be in control. But before Jesus ever gets to the mission, he lets us know that he has the authority. Now, standing in the presence of one who has that kind of authority, what do the disciples do? Well, Verse 17 tells us they worshiped him. They, they, they bowed down and they worshiped him. Something that would have been absolutely inappropriate if he wasn't God, but he was God, so they worshiped him. Even though they didn't have it all figured out, they still had questions. 
They couldn't have written a dissertation on what the Trinity was all about in that moment. They, they hadn't been to, to seminary classes and codified all of this. They didn't have a number of books on their shelves. They had just been with Jesus, and they were absolutely convinced that he was God. And so they bow down, and they, they worshiped him. And in this moment where Jesus is getting ready to give a, a mission to his disciples, it is helpful for us to see the connection between mission and worship. First of all, we get sent on a mission by our God who has authority over our lives. The one that we worship is inviting us into the action. And so we follow him there. But even beyond that, our mission is about bringing worship to the ends of the earth. John Piper has seen this connection, and I think it's helpful for us to see. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Sometimes it feels that way, right? When we talk about mission, sometimes we we can think that the church is just about doing things, just adding followers and something like that. No, no, no. The church is actually about worship. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist, though, because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Friends, right now we are sent on a mission to invite people everywhere in our neighborhoods and around the world and in our families and in our workplaces. We're inviting them to worship God. Our mission is to invite people to worship him. We spend time every Sunday lifting up in song the name of Christ. But another way that we worship is not just in song, but it's in following him in obedience. Our mission is an act of response to the authority that Jesus has over all. The first thing that we see is the authority for the mission. The second thing, though, that I think it's important for us to see is this, the obedience, all obedience. This is the mark of the mission. Jesus had all authority to command the mission, but here we see that all obedience, obedience in every area of our life is the mark of the mission. Now, we see this again inside of what Jesus says. After he reminds them of the authority he has, he gives them the mission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's that all, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, inside of this section of the Great Commission, what we, what we see is that the primary command in this passage, the imperative, is to go and make disciples. Because Jesus has authority over all, Jesus wants to, us to go unto all, and make disciples of all. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. In simplest terms, a disciple is a, disciple is a, follow, a follower who is increasingly transformed 
into the conduct and the character, the attitudes and the action of the one that they are following. What Jesus was encouraging his disciples to do was to go out into the world and invite everyone they came into contact with to follow Jesus with them. Not just to make a decision to follow Christ, so that was a part of it, but to be transformed by Christ in every area of their life because Jesus had all authority. Now, how do we make disciples? Well, we make disciples, this passage lets us know, through two primary kinds of actions. The first action that involves disciple-making is the action of baptizing. This is a reminder that we are to go into the world and invite people to begin to follow Christ, to place their hope in him, to place their faith in him, to find in him their forgiveness and eternal life. And as they begin to trust in Christ... They're baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That baptism represents the beginning of being a disciple. And it's a critical part of this because Jesus was not working with just a set number of people. He wasn't saying, well, I've got 11, that's good enough. No, Jesus said, I want you to go out and invite everybody you come in contact with to follow me as well. And as they begin to follow me, I want you to baptize them in my name. Help them begin that relationship with me. This is a part of the mission of the church. But what's interesting is, Jesus doesn't just say, I want you to go and make a bunch of converts. I don't want you just to go and gather a bunch of decisions. That's part of it. But Jesus said, I want you to make disciples. I want you to make followers of me. So it's not enough just to baptize them into my name, to help them make an introduction, but I I want you to help them begin to grow and be transformed in their relationship with me. He says, I want you to teach them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. That's a holistic following of Christ. That's what Jesus has commanded us to do. That's our mission, knowing that he has all authority. We're to go to all people and invite them to follow Jesus in every way. Now, when I, when I say that, it, it reminds us that we are not just to have a growing number of people. It's not just to have attendance figures that continue to increase, but we're to be a growing people. Mark Dever says this, a little bit of, a, of, of a, a thought grenade, right? I'll read this, and then eventually it'll click with you, right? It may take a minute, but, but you'll get there, right? The least that worked that way for me. Dever says, a growing number of people is not a number of growing people. Right? A growing number of people is not a number of growing people. Dever here is not minimizing the need for us to go and invite people to be baptized to begin a relationship with Christ, but he's going one step further. He says what Jesus desires is not just a a number of people, a growing number of people. What he desires is a number of growing people because that's what disciples are. They're people who are following their master and being transformed day by day by day. Friends, this is 
the practical outflow. It just makes sense connected to the authority that Jesus has. Tony Evans says this of discipleship. He says, discipleship is the key element of God's kingdom agenda. It's the visible manifestation of God's comprehensive rule over every area of life. See, we are to go and to follow Christ, not just in our church life, not just in our Sunday life, not just to attend a bunch of meetings, not to just memorize things in our heads, but we are to follow Jesus in every area of our life. It is the necessary and appropriate response to the fact that Jesus has authority over it all. In light of the fact that he is our God, we are to follow him and see his rule demonstrated in every area of our lives. Now, friends, that is the goal of the church. It's to begin to follow Christ, to invite others to begin to follow him, but also to have our lives transformed. That process that God uses to to get that message out there to begin to transform the lives of people is a process that involves you and me. The mission was not given just a hierarchical structure. The mission was not just given to one individual. Peter, this is your job, go do it. The mission was given to the church. It was given to all followers. We're to go and engage in the mission of God, following him in every area of our lives and inviting others to do the same. This idea of investing our lives in others is seen in verses like 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me, Paul says, in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy, I want you to entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That we would invest in others who would invest in others. Friends, this is, this is, what, this is what the mission of the church is. It involves us passing on to others what has been entrusted to us. Now, we think about this mission of discipleship. I want to to go back and I, I want to ask the question, where are we at inside of this mission? So my first question is this, are are you saved? Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you realized that you're a sinner who has fallen from God and you need the forgiveness? that Christ provides? Have you trusted in him for your salvation? And if you have trusted in him, then you have begun to be a disciple. My question then would be, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized by water as a public declaration of what God has done in your life? At the end of our service today, I'll let you know if you have not been baptized, how you can let us know of your interest to be baptized in a future service when we can actually get closer than six feet, right? But the question is, are you saved? And if so, have you been baptized? The the first part of this, we make disciples. Baptism is a portion. But also, second part of this, are you following Jesus in every area of your life? Our mission is to be a disciple. Are you really Jesus' disciple? Or are you just a decision? Are you following Christ in every area of your life as he transformed what you watch, what you listen to, as he transformed the way you relate to your family, as he transformed the way you relate to 
your neighbors? Has he transformed the way that you handle your resources that he's entrusted to you? Are you allowing him to influence the way that you even do your vocation? I'm not saying that everybody needs to become a full-time Christian worker. I'm just saying that everybody needs to be a full-time Christian. That wherever we are in our nine to five is our is our relationship with Christ, does it show up in the ethics and the way that we relate to others, the love and the care we provide to them? Are we doing everything we do to the glory of God? Friends, are you following Jesus in every area of your life? All obedience, that's the mark of the mission. The next question connected to that is, are you multiplying your life by investing it into others? Are you multiplying your life by investing it into others. Remember, the mission is not just for you to follow Christ. It is part of the mission. The mission is also for all of us to be involved in helping others follow Christ and be his disciple. One of the things I love about Wildwood, and one of the things I love when we're able to gather together is I'm just reminded every week of all of the different roles and ways that you are investing your lives in helping people follow Christ from leading kids' classes to adult groups to welcoming people to answering questions in the gathering hall. When we meet regularly, we're reminded that we're all on the same mission together. But friends, even in this time where we're scattered, we're still on mission together. How are you multiplying your life with your discipleship group known as your family? How are you multiplying your life with the sphere of influence that you have with your extended family as you're in contact with them or your friends or just even being able to pray for your neighbors and reach out to them in any way. Friends, we're invited on the mission. Are we saved? Have we been baptized? Are we following Jesus in all areas of our lives? And are we inviting others to do the same? Friends, this is the question for us. Where are we at in the mission? So the first thing that we have seen is that all authority was given to Jesus. The second thing that we have seen is that all obedience is the mark of the mission. But the third thing that we need to see inside of this passage is the scope. And the scope is all nations. All nations is the scope of the mission. In other words, the mission that God has sent us on doesn't have its edges at the edge of your family. It goes all the way to the ends of the earth. The scope of the mission is all nations. Now, where do we see that in the passage? Well, Jesus says it quite plainly. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He says it quite plainly inside of the Great Commission, but there are other clues even inside of his statement that remind us that the scope was truly all the nations. First of all, Jesus invited them to meet on a mountaintop in Galilee. Now, When we read that, that doesn't seem strange to us because Galilee is a Bible place and we're reading the Bible. So, of course, Jesus said, go to Galilee. That would be like me telling you, hey, let's go meet on Campus Corner. If you live in Norman, you understand Campus Corner. You might say, let's go meet at the Starbucks on Campus Corner at the coffee shop where we've spent time before. It just makes sense, right? When we read this, it doesn't sound strange to us, but I want us to think for a moment about the implications of Jesus' statement to his disciples in this moment. Jesus, the full context will let us know that he had 
40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. And inside of that 40 days, Jesus said, I want you to meet me in Galilee. Now, when he gave that instruction, the disciples were in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. Now, the trip from Jerusalem to Galilee in a day before cars and trains and planes was a trip that would take about a week to walk. So Jesus sends them up to Galilee. Now, you might think, well, okay, he takes them back home. That's where they're from. They're going to go to Galilee, uh, and then Jesus will spend the rest of his time with them there. What's giving up a week? But think about this. Not only did they go to Galilee, but where did Jesus' ascension take place? Acts chapter 1 lets us know that the ascension of Christ happened not in Galilee, but happened on the Mount of Olives just outside of the city of Jerusalem. So in the 40 days that Jesus had with his disciples, he walks them a week north and then a week south. Now that seems terribly inefficient to our American minds. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, friends, I think the reason why Jesus invited them to go up to Galilee was because of what you could see from a mountaintop in Galilee. From a mountaintop in Galilee, you could see literally the world, at least their world. From a mountaintop in Jerusalem, what could you see? You could see Israel. But from a mountaintop in Galilee, you could see the world. This is why Galilee is called Galilee of the Gentiles in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. Because there were people from all over the world that lived in that region. And when you go up on a mountaintop in Galilee, you can literally see various countries. I was in Israel uh, about a year ago. And when we were there, I was interacting with our guide. And we were on a mountaintop in Galilee. And I said, tell me what we're seeing up here. And, And Ari looked out and he said, Mark, if you look over there. By the way, my parents are probably watching right now. And they're not gonna like what I'm getting ready to say. Because of how close we were to these places. But... Mom and dad, it's okay. I came back. I'm okay. I'm fine. Uh, I digress. Uh, When we think about what you can see from mountaintop in Galilee, Ari looked out and he said, Mark, do you see over there? Do you see those rooftops? I said, yeah, I see those. He goes, that's Lebanon. So now do you you see over there? You see those mountain, that mountain over there? Yeah, I see that. That's Syria. Okay, now do you look over there? Do you see those cars driving on that road? Yeah, I see those cars over there. Well, that's Jordan. So from a a mountaintop in Galilee, you can see nations. Jesus walks his disciples from Jerusalem to a mountaintop in Galilee so that their perspective could change. And they could be reminded of the scope of the mission was not just to stay there, was not just to reach their countrymen. It certainly included that. But he wanted their vision to go beyond that, to see all the nations. Right below them from a mountaintop in Galilee, you would have, they would have seen the Via Maris, the Way of the Sea, the I-35 of their day that connected nations. Jesus takes them up north so that their perspective can change and they can be reminded that the scope of the mission is all the nations. And then Jesus said, Not only did he give them this picture and this reminder, but he said, you see that road down there? Some of you are going to go north. Some of you are going to go south. Some of you are going to go east. Some of you are going to go west. 
But my mission, because I have all authority, goes to all nations. And friends, that is one of the most blessed statements in Scripture, isn't it? Because as they moved west, where did they eventually get to? Norman, Oklahoma. Now, not them, not those 11, but the followers of Jesus taking his command seriously about the scope of the mission eventually got to us. And now as we sit here today, we're reminded that the heart of God is not just for the people of Oklahoma, but it's for the gospel message that got to us to reverberate through us to the ends of the earth. This has always been the heart of God. Inside of the Old Testament, we see a number of statements that hint at God's heart for all people. In Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham is called, he says, all the families of the earth, Abraham, will eventually be blessed through your descendant. Through Jesus, ultimately, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's God's heart. Psalm 67 that we began our service with today talks about all the peoples and all the nations, not just Israel. God's heart was for the gospel to go to all people. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 18 talks about all nations, all tongues, all people groups. That was the scope of of God's heart from the very, very beginning. What happens on the other side of the resurrection as Jesus gives this mission is that God takes his plan to reach all the families and all the peoples and all the nations and all the tongues to the next level by sending out his followers to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth that everyone might hear of it and have a chance to repent and to believe. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine talks about the heart of God. Remember Peter, one of those on the mountain with Jesus that day that heard this commission, that was reminded of the scope. What, what does Peter say? He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, why has it been 2,000 years and counting from Jesus' ascension until his return to the earth? God is not slow, but he's patient. Patient towards who? Patient towards you. Patient towards me. Jesus has not returned to the earth because he wanted a chance for us in this era to repent and to believe. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, the scope is all the nations. Why why is it that a place like Wildwood has missionary partners around the world? You know, we had the the Bennett's on earlier. If you, you missed it, when this stream ends, back it back up and, and watch. There's a 12-minute interview with some of our missionary partners in Italy. Why is it that Wildwood is partnering with them in prayers and in finances? Why do we have ministry going on in Nicaragua and Mexico and Latvia? Why is it that we're sponsoring children at a church in Lagoa de San Francisco, Brazil, through the Compassion Program and inviting them to be a part of the First Baptist Church of Lagoa de San Francisco? Why, why is it that Wildwood is helping plant churches in Bosnia and helping to translate the scripture in the Middle East. Why are we doing these things, friends? Is it because we just want to pound our chest and say that we're great? No, not at all. We're following our Lord who has authority over all of the earth. 
We take seriously when he says that there is no place down here or up there where I don't have jurisdiction. And so we are supposed to go and take this message to the ends of the earth. And just as the mission of making disciples is something shared among all followers of Christ, so also this opportunity to see the scope lived out is something that is available and an invitation for all of us to be a part of as well. So how are you involved in living out this all-nation scope of God's plan? Loving internationals who God has brought to our city or our community is a part of that. Praying for some of our missionary partners. If you are not connected with any of those and you would like to be, you can go to our website in the global outreach section of that and you can find more information and let us know about it. But we can be a part of this mission together, this global mission and scope. Friends, it's the only thing that is really appropriate for us to do in response. If Jesus is God and salvation is only through him, then how selfish would it be for us to keep it only in our region? That was never God's intention or heart. It was always that it would go to the ends of the earth. All nations, that's the scope of the mission. That's three of our four alls. But I want to conclude with that fourth all. Always. Now, this is a little cheesy, right? Only one L, kind of a misspelling. Anyway, uh, there, there's another all here, and it's, it's always. Jesus is giving us a, a promise for the mission, and that is that he is with us always. It's, it's powerful inside of the Great Commission accounts. Jesus was giving the Great Commission again and again and again in many different settings, and he said it different ways throughout the Gospels and throughout Uh, the beginning of the book of Acts. But in those great commissions, one of the things Jesus does is he gives them a promise of his power. He says, as you live out this mission, I will send my spirit that will empower you to do it. That's what Acts 1-8 tells us. But Jesus also gives us the promise of his presence. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He says, you're not going to wake up and wonder if I am with you but I am with you always. Can you say that with me right now? Wherever you are, he is with us when? Always. That means now. That means a minute from now. That means six minutes from now when you sit down at lunch. That means a week from now when you hear different news about what's happening in the world. We, he is with us always. It's his promise for the mission. Now, it makes sense that he would say that he is with us always. Because what is Jesus' name? What's the name that is given to him? A nickname, if you will. Well, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, they are told that his name is to be Emmanuel. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus is with us. The promise that we have as we live on this mission is that he's with us. And that that makes sense also, right? If this mission is so important, if it's so very near and dear to the heart of God, would he not be personally involved in that? He's not outsourced it. Jesus hasn't said, hey, you guys just do something with this. This This whole church thing, this whole mission thing, that's up to you. Just do it however you want to do it. And, you know, when you get to heaven, tell me how it went. That's not what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, as you live out the mission that I'm giving you, guess what? I will be with you. Not sometimes, but always. I'll be with you when you're scared. I'll be with you when you're reaching out and ministering in my name. I'll be with you when you are celebrating the work that is happening. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you always. Friends, that is a dear and precious promise for us. As we live our lives scattered right now in one heart and one mind on mission, but in very many different rooms, that promise exists even for all of us in all of our different spots. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So friends, here we are. We sit today as followers of Christ, inviting others to follow him with us to the glory of God, worshiping him together. And with God himself present among us with the body of Christ and the empowerment of the spirit. Friends, may we all live out the mission that God has given us Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to to gather and to worship today in all of our different locations. Father, you have united us around your word. It's as true in the home as it is in the church. It's as as true in Europe as it is in Asia, as it is in Africa, as it is in South America, as it is in Australia, as it is in North America. Father, and we have people watching from all of those locations right now. Father, it unites us together. You're with us always, no matter where we are, if we're in Christ. And you've invited all of us to participate and the mission that you have. Father, may we follow Jesus with all that we are. And Father, may we just see you do a great work in the lives of those around us as we invite them to follow you with us. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.